Hello and welcome to the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from my doctor's waiting room, wondering if, for the second year in a row, my golf season will be abruptly obliterated due to an injury. And this is Season 4, Episode 2. The idea of a golf society, which is a privately operated golf club not tied to a single physical golf course, has intrigued me for some time. At various points over the years, I've contemplated starting my own official USGA golf club, primarily so that I could manage my friend's handicap indexes and give official cover to several of our outings. But the kind of club that makes up a golf society goes well beyond that. It's an idea that was fleshed out for me a little bit as I dove deeper into the golf in Scotland, both before and after my 2019 trip. It's common across the pond, for instance, for multiple golf clubs to have playing privileges at a given course, even at such venerable locations like the old course or Carnoustie. And it's not uncommon for those clubs to travel frequently to play other clubs at other courses. Not so much over here in the States, though. Americans have traditionally subscribed to one of a few fairly rigid models of golf club membership, where the club and the course are largely inseparable. A member of an American country club will likely play most, if not all, of their golf rounds in a given year at their member club, save for the occasional golf trip or maybe a section or city championship. The freedom of variety traded away in favor of ordered stability. It's an uneasy conundrum for many. Enter my guest, Matt Considine, co-founder of the New Club Golf Society. The New Club attempts to exploit the void for golfers who feel forced to choose between the substantial expense and inflexible commitment to a private golf or country club and life as a gypsy, grinding out rounds on the often- overcrowded and underwhelming municipal and daily fee courses of public golf. His new club, Golf Society, concept has grown into a haven for golfers that want it both ways, offering access to a variety of high-quality golf experiences. It's a passion that has become a career, and it's a story worth investing a few moments. Speaking of stories, a reminder that there are some awesome stories in McKellar Number 6, which is available now at www.mckellarmagazine.com including, of course, my story on the surprisingly wonderful golf on Martha's Vineyard. Go get your copy today. It's the best $16 you're going to spend on golf entertainment this year, I promise. You, my listening friends, have never been a crowd given to excessive feedback about the Blind Shots podcast. Nonetheless, you're still invited to interact with the show on Twitter or on Instagram at Blind Shots Pod. There are links in the show notes today to the McKellar Golf website as well as the New Club Golf Society, so please check those out when you have a moment. Also, I dusted off the keyboard and got a new blog piece up over at OneBeardedGolfer.com on what I learned from this year's buddy trip to the Hermitage in Nashville. So please go check that out when you have a few moments. Reminder that while the show is a proud member of the Talking Golf Network of shows who graciously bring this audio madness to our mates down under, the Blind Shots podcast is sponsored exclusively by me, David Hill, Realtor. In addition to playing, talking, and writing about golf, of course, I'm a licensed Kentucky realtor with Rector Hayden Realtors. Interest rates are still moving up, but prices locally have started a return to rational justification, leading to some good buying opportunities, especially if you have cash to bring to the transaction. If you want to know more about today's market, you can find my contact information at davidhill.rhr.com. Give me a call, send me an email, and we can talk about it. Now, with the business end of this out of the way, here's my friend, Matt Considine. Did you know 
that golf was going to be a lifestyle choice for you. Like that, here's my, my journey. Okay. I was a jock growing up, kind of nerdy, but played sports, uh, couldn't play college sports. So the fraternity became kind of my group of friends. Four or five years after college, we'd all dispersed all over the Midwest and the South. And all of a sudden those weren't my guys anymore. And I needed through some, some life choices and journey, I found myself kind of searching and all of a sudden I kind of defaulted in playing a lot of golf, walking, exercise. All of a sudden my golf friends really became my close friends. You are the founder of a golf society. That's not something that you just up and do one day without a serious addiction to the game. So kind of when did you realize that was part of your path? Yeah, the it's a clear obsession. You, you, you nailed it. Um, and in a passion. You know, and, and I think it's as long as I can remember, for sure. My dad said I was swinging a club when I was three years old in the backyard, which I try to do every day now that I'm in Ohio, Ohio, and then there's actually yards here. That That's one thing I didn't realize how much I missed was just the ability to go outside and hit a chip shot. Um, but I, as long as I can remember, I've loved this game. And where I knew I wanted to take golf, being a, a golfer as the, the sport, uh, to the next level was my shortcomings in other sports. So like you, I was a uh, multi-season athlete. My whole family was. My sister was the best of the bunch. She played Division three college basketball for a national champion capital out of Columbus. And my mom was an athlete just 20 times, 22, I think we counted the board, 22 uh, tennis club championships at Portage Country Club. So she's oh, wow. a stud. She played, She started the college golf team at her school. My dad um, probably the, uh, the most heart, but least talented. My dad was a walk-on soccer player at the same university of Akron, which is now a very dominant program, but we, we just had sports in our life. You know, we grew up with all of it and I really, it was probably my sister's doing, I really wanted to be a basketball player and, uh, went to all the camps, played hard, you know, um, but there was a run in with a young man. Same age, same town, Akron, Ohio. Just a but kid from Akron, right? Just a kid from Akron, a guy named LeBron James. And, and it, it is true. It's like that seventh grade game I got dunked on by LeBron James. And my dad in the car just immediately kind of pivoted. I was devastated with the loss. We got you know stomped. We had a really good team. We got stomped by LeBron and his guys. And uh, it, he pivoted on the way home in the car to you know, there's some of these, these golf camps going on this winter. You want to get down to Carolina and you want to, <laughs> and, uh, and so I looked in the mirror then, and from seventh grade on, I said, yeah, I want to be a golfer. Uh, took it kind of to next, next, uh, level in, in high school. And, um, the other sports just kind of faded into the background. I did other things, but sports was always kind of the, the main activity. So, um, so from that point, I knew I wanted to be a golfer, uh, making golf, my job and my life and kind of the focal point that that probably didn't happen till really starting starting new club and and i i reflected that i got other jobs you know i was i was uh, in business development working in sales traveling around the country and i just i was never fulfilled in any of those roles i i liked people i liked being around people but there was that level of of golf industry that I, I kind of reflected on that I always wanted to be a part of. I uh, worked at clubs growing up. That That's where I was happy is being around golf, even if I wasn't playing. Uh, my first internship was at IMG in their golf wow. division. 
and that was at in Cleveland. And I learned a ton there that I probably didn't give too much credit to because I was a dumb 20, 20 year old. But um, uh, it was it was those things that kind of led me to to making golf um, an occupation, making it you know what I was going to do for a living. So uh, yeah, it, slow road to it, but uh, there was no there was no avoiding it. I guess it's just when when you have something that occupies so much of your brain space and um, and you don't mind the work of it. I think that was the the part where it's like I recognize because of my time at IMG and all my friends that were PGA pros and superintendents and guys working in the industry. I, I didn't mind the work of it. I liked being around it. It wasn't just a, a I have to play type of thing. It was uh, this is what I wanted to do. So I think I found my uh, my calling. That's that's a good journey. That's a unique story. Um, now, as you mentioned, we're going to be talking about new club golf and society or new club golf society. Sorry. Um, and I want to throw you a quote. One of your members, Charlie Clark, who's a friend of mine, he, he is a Lexington ambassador. We were driving to Sweeten's Cove. And I asked him the lottery was up for something and he's a finance professor. So we were talking shop. I've got a, a finance degree so I can almost keep up with him, like not say something completely idiotic. He's a Wait. smart dude. That's how he, I is. Do. he is. A head that big, you got to have a big brain in there. <laughs> and I ask him, you know, you make your first billion dollars or you win it. What are you going to do? And he he gave me an answer that I like more the more I think about it. He said he wouldn't trophy hunt memberships. He's not going to go try to get into Oakmont or the Cow Club or, or you know collect memberships there. He roughly said he would join every golf society that would have him. And he would travel the world playing with those same groups of friends and all those different courses. Like, and that's, that's what would be his club. And just kind of thinking about that, you know, he has, he's told great stories. He loves your guys' events. He's always looking for, he's like me, golf trips take up an inordinate percentage kind of pro rata of his golf experiences. We're both gypsies. <laughs> and so it kind of having that story as the backdrop, tell my listeners what new club is just a little bit of its origin story and, and maybe kind of where it's ended up maybe the, the shorter, the medium version as you see fit. Great. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's certainly a long version of it and I'll try to avoid that one, but now to give the context to it and you know where it all came from, it came from my travels, you know, starting with his comment, um, so fast forward from those getting dunked on by LeBron, I uh, played college golf at University of Akron and had a great first se season my freshman year um, and then ran into some challenges, both with my own head and that of my co my golf coach. And my sophomore year was kind of a disaster. Um, and the whole team was kind of struggling and, and uh, it lost all the fun. It was all about score. It was all my, all my worth was tied up in that number. And if it was red or black or, uh, wh where I was on the leaderboard and it, and it just was no fun. Um, and I kind of, uh, had some reflection at the time and just walked by, literally walked by the international college, uh, which was in the, the, uh, the business school and saw study abroad flyers and, and thought, you know, I went to, I was from Akron. I went to school at Akron and I said, I'm going to leave this country. I'm going to go some somewhere. So I walk in there. My family's from Ireland or we have roots and I see some Ireland brochures and I go, what about that one? 
And, and I went to University College Cork for the year of 2005 and uh, uh, essentially quit the golf team. And that was probably the most impactful decision I've made in my life. And I know a lot of people talk about studying abroad as a, a really kind of broadening your horizons, learning things. But, you know, I didn't realize how much effect it had on my life until those thoughts that I couldn't shake about what I was introduced to culturally that that shaped where how was how I was going to live my life and what I was going to do in the world and that's what led to new club was my time over there so I leave uh you know in the summer I think it was mid-summer I actually left in July did like an early start and for six months I didn't see a golf course I didn't touch a golf club I was a college kid for the first time in in you know my college career. I could do whatever I wanted. I didn't have to show up for 6am workouts. I didn't have to go beat balls and have a coach tell me that I need to stop hitting a draw and I need to hit a cut. I, I just enjoyed being a college kid with all the other Irish kids. And um, there's plenty of Americans too, that, that studied abroad in the same program, but uh, I just loved it. And uh, basketball season rolled around. Uh, they had a very poor basketball team at university of college Cork. <laughs> it's all club. Uh, and I joined those guys and was, was having fun doing that. Um, also played Gaelic sports, tried the hurling out, got my ass kicked by these guys. They, they had it out for me thinking I knew how to play their game. <laughs> so, so again, sports was kind of the theme and, uh, and where I found my sense of community over there. And one guy named Graham, uh, said, Hey, I heard you could play some golf. You know, we're allowed, they had a rule where you could only have one Yankee on each team, one American, uh, for each college club team. And they didn't know. Now, wait a second. What, what is the origin of that? Did you get the backstory on, on why there was a quota or a limit? I went, no, th that's a, that's a deep dive pot. I'd love to go back and see if okay. they still have those rules, <laughs> uh, and who enforces those rules and like, you know, are they checking passports at competitions, uh, but it was cool because you would go play other teams. So I'll long or short of the story is um, I say, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to play some golf. I haven't played in six months. Let's, let's tee it up. And you can play Ireland, Scotland. You can play 52 weeks out of the year. These guys play matches in December. You know, the weather might not be great, but, but they do play. Uh, that's the beauty of Lynx golf, you know, in, in all conditions, that turf is playable. Um, but I, I connect with this, this small crew. Of, of guys probably six or seven on the team we started five when you play your your matches against other clubs and the culture of what this was is where i really fell in love with golf um it didn't hurt that they played at an alistair mckenzie golf course called cork golf club right on the harbor um that didn't hurt you know when you're playing mckenzie's you tend to feel a bit more connected to the spirit of the game uh were you really were you at firestone at akron we did. Yeah. My, yeah. my wife's one of my wife's best friends started the women's program there. 2000 did you coach Jenny. Jenny um, King. She's still, yeah. She's still up there. Uh, but I always thought that was interesting. That had to be a recruiting tool. It's like, yeah, come play Firestone as your home course. Definitely worked for me too. A little, di little different than Cork though. A <laughs> little different than Cork and, and everything was different over there. I mean, the, the fact that, it was kind of self-coached. You had player coaches. Uh, the fact that there's not a golf cart in sight, that every everybody walked, because um, that's one thing I, I kind of despise about my college golf experience at Akron looking back is every practice we rode in carts. Now, if you're a college golfer, you're playing, you're walking uh, in the events. 
but at Akron, we rode in carts every single day. That's not a disadvantage. I don't know what it is. It was it just reflecting why, on it was terrible. Why is it that I see this? I play in golf leagues and I'm probably I'm getting close to the median age. The average it skews older. But all the guys that walk are either my age or older. And everybody that takes a cart for these events are younger than me. And I don't I mean, there are some some old beat up guys that that can't walk it, but Almost invariably, it's the young Turks that are all riding around in carts. And these are competitions. This isn't beer league necessarily. Why is sidebar? Why is that, Matt? <laughs> Big sidebar. I, I have a blog post that's been sitting in drafts for three years now about the cancer of golf carts. And and I'm not saying everything that's wrong with the game is because of carts, but I think you can link pretty much everything to the reliance on golf carts and what it's done to us culturally culturally mm -hmm. uh from you know poor health to mental health to friendships um it it just is a it's a walking game you know I, I, there's a there's a an irish friend of mine that calls it cart ball he's like oh yeah i go over to america and i play you guys play a different game you play cart ball and it's it it's a better game when you're walking it's both the rhythm of it it's a fitness thing and it's also uh conversation and camaraderie that's that's what I come down to is the time that you spend and probably a mutual friend of ours or someone, at least through the Twitterverse that a lot of people might know is Kevin Moore. And he actually has some math that shows how much more time you actually spend with the entire group when you're walking versus in a cart, how oh, much yes. more conversation you actually have. So I, I feel very strongly about walking. That was and that was an epiphany in my time in Ireland was was that associated with match play. I had never played match play. You know, even if me and my brother were going out, we played nine holes of stroke play. How boring is that? We, you know, like it just every element of what these guys were doing and the big one that I didn't realize until later. And I'll kind of circle to the real aha moment of I got to do this thing because it's time. It's time in American golf that we have local golf societies. And that I think that is still our our mission is to be the best local golf societies that that exist on the planet but the these college kids that were playing part of a club team organizing their own matches getting a little bit of budget from the school they need to fill out some practice some 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 times and matches against others and they're playing against these these golf societies which i had never been introduced to there's thousands of them in ireland wales england scotland and they don't own golf courses they have their meetings in the school or the pub. Mm -hmm. They work with the area golf courses. A typical golf society might play at 12, 15 different courses. And, and they're welcome there. And it's very clear what the policies are going to be when they come. And, um, and I, here I am, a 20-year-old kid playing against 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, sometimes you know, 16, 70 uh, in, in these matches. And it was just normal. And it was just fun. And it, it just flipped my whole perspective of what I thought golf was. And, I, and then it also helped me realize that all these things that never really were the reason I played were, were so unnecessary. You know, carts being one of them. Mm -hmm. the, uh, as, as my friend Tom Coyne says, the elitist trappings of the game. They have none of it. And... I saw that how unnecessary it was. And I was never the same golfer after that. I, I went back to the States, 
uh, fell out of golf a little bit as we all do when you get a job and you know, you, you move to the city and you, you got to start working for your living and paying the bills and getting your bar tabs covered. So I, I got out a little bit, my 15 years in Chicago, you know, the early ones were less golf, but I kept getting back to those basics of why I love the game. And I found a group of people, they, they resonated, you know, what I was talking about resonated with them and, uh, and they started to dwindle. And I think that was one thing that, that connected the two of us was me, that realization of, okay, here's how I want to play the game. I want to play a variety of courses. I want to play with good people that have etiquette and no pace of play and like to walk. I uh, want to play matches. I want people that are competitive. It is a game. And I found that group. But then when they started to dwindle and it was getting harder to have a game, I knew that something needed to happen. So I had these feelings back in 2015. And uh, luckily, I had a trip planned to Scotland. And after that Scotland trip, and that's a story in itself, but I was invited into the new golf club of St. Andrews. And I sat up in their clubhouse looking over the 18th of the, the old course. And I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to quit my job. I knew, I knew then I, I, even though I had zero revenue or, or a website or anything, I, I knew then that I'm going to bring a golf society to the United States because I feel like it was what I was meant to do. And a lot of people talk about having moments of inspiration at the home of golf. It certainly is that type of magical place. Um, I'm just one of them. I'm just one of them that felt that deep in my bones and said, it's going to happen. And then when I got home, I was th trying to think of a name and the place that I had the moment of inspiration was the new golf club of St. Andrews. So I dropped the golf and the St. Andrews and we just called it new club. And i um, very happy that, that that's what happened. Awesome. Now this is not, so it's a, for listeners that may not be familiar, it's a golfing society. As you said, it's a golf club without a course, which is very common in the British Isles. You know, the, I think talking about the old course, I think there are what five clubs that have playing privileges at the old course. You know, there's yeah, it, sick. the big one, the big one everyone knows is the RNA, but there's the new club. I can't remember all of them, but they have, yeah, the, new, like you said, new St. Andrews, St. Rule, St. Regulus, and the RNA. Right. And then there's, there's, there is one or two other. I think Thistle, Thistle Club is, is still in existence. And there might be one more. Right. But they're all in, they're all based in St. Andrews. That you find that everywhere. You know, you go to you go across the the peninsula to uh, you know leave it leaving links. There's there's a thistle club there. There's the leaving club there. You know, at Ely, which is one of my favorite spots in the world. There's the Ely Club. There's another Earls Ferry Athletic Club. There's the Ladies Club. You know, the the Ladies Club is something that has it's a vestige of days gone past. But almost all these clubs also have a ladies golf society that has playing privileges. Maybe that's the origin of the ladies day at the American country clubs may, you know, may that tradition maybe rest in peace sometime soon. <laughs> yeah. um, but this is not so, so people have an idea. This is not Matt's beer league of friends. You know, this is a, this is serious business for, yeah. for want of better terms. You've got applications and approval. You've got paperwork. Okay. You've got fees. Um, you have chapters now almost franchises with dr moore um so tell me a little bit about was that always the vision you know to kind of where you've ended up now sprawling because you you mentioned um you, know, you wanted to be a local golf society well honey you're getting nationwide and <laughs> and pretty quickly so talk to me a little bit about what what the society is and, and how that growth process has worked 
Yeah, the 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 vision has always been to have these local chapters, and um, I, I think the framework was was there uh, for what we experienced in the the UK. Um, now you come. So, you mentioned you come from a corporate background. Was that your big influence, or did you have contacts in Scotland, Ireland? Say, okay, how did you? You know, did you have somebody, a resource there, or were you kind of making this up just with the vision? Yeah, it, it, combination just what I saw in Chicago uh, with talking to friends across the pond. My college roommate, actually, another serendipitous moment. Uh, my college roommate was from Scotland at, at Akron. So I, I returned to Akron and I rejoined the team because our coach had left and uh, I had to play my way back on. Donnie Dar, who's now one of the assistants at uh, Oklahoma State, was the new coach and he was a total badass this guy uh you just meet him and you're like i want to play for this guy and i was in love with golf again so i i uh had to, to play my way back on the team but um my college roommate was also a scottish uh, guy he grew up in steward in scotland um he's now the general manager at barassi kilmarnock in in uh, Gla- nice. just outside glasgow it's a fantastic golf course if you ever if you play western gales or glasgow gales everybody skips barassi um it's fantastic worth, worth a shout out there. Uh, but yeah, he, he, him along with other friends in Ireland that I met in college and stuff kept, I kept hitting them up with questions and uh, a lot of Facebook messages and things of that nature. But uh, the business aspect of it too, was just so clear to me in Chicago where I kept meeting people that either grew up with the game or share this love of golf, but they're not playing any golf. And this is pre-pandemic. This is, you know, 2015, 16, 17. We launched in 17. And uh, that was clear as day. Now, I had also gotten serious. I was starting to make more money. I got serious about joining a private club. So I started doing research on joining a private club at the same exact time that I wanted to start a new club and uh, kept meeting all these people through my job that love golf but weren't playing any. And um, the the merge happened when I, I saw that a lot of the private clubs and public courses, but a lot of the private clubs were looking for new members and had a ton of availability. Now that's not the case in the pandemic, but um, that was the case then. And they, and they were sitting there and I just kept seeing these two worlds. I'm like, this doesn't add up. How am I meeting all these mid thirties, early forties, late twenties people that love golf. And then all these fantastic golf courses that nobody, nobody's playing. (laughs) And, and so that, that's where I kind of said, okay, there might be a, um, a business reason for this to exist too. Maybe the clubs will actually see a lot of value in that. And so our first year, I actually was five for five. I called five private clubs and that's how we got started. We had 40, 40 ish people that said, yeah, I want to be a part of this. And we called five private clubs that um, had us out, hosted us. And we had great days we played matches and we had a lot of fun. Uh, it's grown since then, but that, that was the initial um, connection piece that, that, got us to the point of having a golf society. You know, my, my friend Rod Morey on his podcast on good, good golf podcast and state of the game. He talks about this a lot. And Adrian too, that that is the natural life cycle. Like I came to golf late. Okay. I'm a washed up baseball player. I didn't grow up with golf, but he says your journey almost fits in the stereotypical mold of what the golf industry has been. You played as a kid, you may be, you know, high level golfer, college golfer. Then all of a sudden you fall out, you burn out, you tired out, you get tired of stroke play competition. And so the game becomes every once in a while, and then you're not practicing. So you're not as good as you used to be and you get frustrated. And then somewhere, you know, kids, career life, somewhere in those thirties or forties, you come back to the game and maybe rediscover it. 
And the private clubs were really the only game in town to an extent other than, you know, if you don't have good municipal golf, good public daily fee golf in your area, they would reap the benefit of that. And that's how that was their business model. And it's encouraging for me to see that that's changing a little bit because they're because of all the the issues with the club model in this country, whether it be the stigma. Uh, yes, there are so many fantastic golf courses that are locked behind the gates in so many people's minds, you know, just to be an alternative to to that, to, just to show people that, well, maybe good golf is available if you, you know, with less than a, you know, not a five figure, six figure commitment up front on a, you know, a hope and a prayer. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Do you find maybe then or now, maybe what chunk of your membership at new club kind of fits within that mold of that same golf story? Yeah, it's, it's a big one. Uh, it, it, I don't know the exact percentage if we looked at it, um, but there's kind of the, the combination of the two of us, I would say is the core, probably 80% of our membership. And it's probably split down the middle. 40% are people that, you know, really grew up with it and fell, fell away from it. Um, and new club is kind of their compelling reason to get back into it, to play a little bit more, to practice every once in a while, to just, you know, think and, and talk about golf more often. And then the other group is probably people that didn't grow up playing that are just getting into the game and they've maybe hit a, a threshold of, of maybe they have been going out to the local muni and, or maybe they joined a men's league or a women's league and, and they've, they're getting to that next elevated stage where they're like, they want something a little bit uh, more, or they want the community to experience it with. And I, I find that is, is probably, maybe not the number one reason people have joined new club, but when I talk to folks after their first year and you know, why they're a part of it and what they've really enjoyed out of it, it's, uh, it's finding their people. It's having a collection of, uh, of folks that all share the reverence and the passion for golf and they're reliable. Like you just, and, and they're not reliable on a one-to-one -one basis. You know, I, I just turned down playing around a golf today actually someone asked and i was like no i got i got work to do but thank you um it's it's reliable in in numbers and there's power in numbers and that's what we've seen and why i always wanted a local golf society is because i saw that same connective tissue uh in in cork ireland where it was it was there everyone was was within 20 minutes of each other everybody could could get together quickly and go play a, a match and have some fun or meet in the pub if we need to discuss you know handicaps or or whatever it was that's what i wanted for for new club and so that local uh numbers power and numbers and having chapters it just allows you to do so much more and it allows people to to rely on a, a big number of golfers that share all this and just know you're going to have a good time, you know, cause that's, we all got a lot going on in our lives, but if you're going to take time to play golf, you better make it count. And I think that's what the way that a lot of our members view their membership with new club. You know, golf trips are, as I mentioned before, golf trips are an increasing both in importance and kind of as a percentage important to me. Um, and I've got a core group that, I try to build trips around. I've tried to bring in other people. Um, it, it's fun. There's a lot of enthusiasm to get down right to the commitment stage. And, and then there's a lot of, you know what, put me down as a backup. If you have somebody fall through, um, yeah, that, that, you know, that's, that's very kind that that doesn't help me make a reservation somewhere. Um, and two things, one, 
when was your last buddy's trip that wasn't a club event? Think about that for a second. And two, while you're thinking on that, if you can talk and think at the same time, tell us what a, if there's a typical new club event, sort of what that structure is like. You talk about match play and playing, you know, a certain type of, of walking golf. What does a, a day with your new golf um, or yeah, with new club look like on the course? Yeah. So the, the, the first part of that last buddy's trip was the uh, let's see forest, uh, forest dunes, the loop. Okay. Along with uh, a couple, we hit up champions Hill, uh, the pines, a couple muni courses that were, made by the owner. Very cool story up there in Northern Michigan. So Northern Michigan's the answer, uh, 2019, 2019. So that was, I uh, did that with a group of, of pals, some in new club. So I shouldn't say it was all just, but it, uh, it's different. It, it is. And cause the, the focus there is just seeing my childhood pals and, and we truly grew up together and it's just having laughs and, um, you know, the golf is so secondary in that trip. Like I, I, I picked the golf people that, that group could have cared less that we were at Tom Doak's reversible golf course. Like <laughs> they didn't even like, I kept saying, Oh, we're going to play the same course tomorrow. You're going to look at the first tee. It's going to be exact inverse. Isn't this crazy? Like, all right, pal, like, great. Like, <laughs> you know? And and it's just so secondary. We probably could have saved a bunch of money going anywhere. Cause that's what they, they wanted. And, um, and that's great. Like there's nothing yep. I would never take away from that. And I, I hope we do more of those, but, uh, I went back this year for our summer medal to Northern Michigan. And it was with just people that we talked about that reversibility till two in the morning, you know, and how cool that was. Um, or they were in, everyone was in for the medal competition. Like we really wanted to win that trophy. People mm -hmm. were gearing up for the final round. And, and then we talk and we still talk about that trip and my buddies, we might talk about some of the jokes from that trip, but I, there's no continuity to it. If that makes sense. Like yeah. I don't, I don't bring it up to them. Like, Hey, do you remember that seventh hole, I just played a hole just like it. Actually, the, that that's what I do with new club members. Is we we have that like little deeper perspective on golf that connects us, and we still will share laughs and we'll still do all these things. But it's about the game. That's what I'd say. It's about playing the game of golf, and that's what what unites us. So that's the answer to your your first question. Uh, the second one, a normal day with new club, is typically uh, you know if you live in Chicago or Atlanta, I'll go with the local route if that's all right. I mean, I sure. Could, I could give you a sense of our trips too, but if you're a, a, a local member in Chicago or Atlanta, you know, usually we're going to have a full schedule of golf available in our mobile app. We built a mobile app to help all this go. Um, we just, we didn't find anything out there that kind of fit what we needed. So we, we built it and um, not the cheapest route to go, but definitely the, I, I think has panned out for us in the best. And you're going to see a full schedule. You're going to see a mix of, uh, public courses. You're going to see a mix of private courses, you know, public courses. We try to work with what we would, you know, bill as the most compelling public available golf courses. And we try to get them at preferred times, you know, 70% of members are looking to play early on the weekends. So we try to always have something available Saturday and Sunday mornings. Uh, another big percentage like to get out either, you know, 6am during the work week or, 6 p.m. after after work so we always try to have some of those hit throughout the week and that's kind of how we tr treat our public offering and then for the clubs that are willing to host members of new club 
we we work with them to find those off-peak times where their member play isn't happening and they have spots that they can bring us in. So as a new club member, you're looking at the app usually a, a week or two in advance and seeing what's going on, who's playing where. And uh, and you find something that works for you. You put your name in the app, you, you book right then and there, and you kind of look forward to it. I always say it's something to circle on the calendar and kind of break up your week um, and, and you gear up for it. So those, those are kind of like the majority of the rounds that are played are just standard tee times. We always encourage a match. So like I said, you know, the inspiration was these, these match play clubs, these golf societies. So every time you go out, you're reminded to, to play a match, you know, square up on the first tee, you can pick a partner. Uh, the, the norm is usually a, a 18 hole closeout, which, or, or a Nassau, a lot of people prefer Nassau. I'm more of a closeout guy. So you give them a chance to win back a little pride. If you beat them on 15, give it a three hole match. Um, that's but, called a, that's called a press, Matt. That, that's why Nassau works. <laughs> no, no. See, a press is misinterpreted as multiple presses. I've never met a man who doesn't want to press more than once. The closeout is you get one chance. So you got one big match. The winner is the big match, but you can win a little bit. Better. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, okay. so yeah, that would that would be your typical uh, uh, thing. And then and then there's other things to look forward to, like our our monthly medal competitions, which are down and dirty. Uh, Saturday, one Saturday or Sunday of, of each month. We got the July medal, the August medal. Those are fun. Uh, we do vice captain matches where we have s- seven people that have been nominated to be our, our vice captains. They go head to head with kind of two teams. And there's usually an alt shot component to that. Those happen once a month. We, uh, then we have our big staple events and those are kind of your more member guest member, member style, uh, full day, 36 holes. We'll go to some clubs on a Monday for those as well as the member member ones can occasionally happen on um, Saturdays and Sundays at some of our favorite publics. So the competition golf that's available. And then the final bucket is trips. And I think that's, you know, what a lot of people, it's interesting to me that a lot of people lead, lead with that for, for new club, or that's what they think of when they think about the new club is doing the trips. And that is the traditional golf society in, in the United States. Uh, places like the Outpost Club were a big inspiration for me. Just hearing Colin Sheehan and their story, um, they've done such a great job, and they're they're fully focused on travel. For us, for New Club, we saw our resources maybe not uh, large enough to do seventy trips and make them, you know, four to eight to twelve people at a time. We saw that's align them with our seasons, and that's do them really big. Let's do them as good as we can. And so we have uh, a spring meeting, a, a summer medal, a founder's cup in the fall and uh, a winter meeting to kick off the year. So those, those are our, like big trips uh, plus one international trip every single year. Well, that's quite a full plate. I was going to ask if you had any overlap or, or influence from some of the other societies, you've got the, the silver Scots out there, you've got outpost, even smaller ones, kind of like Friars club. It, do you have any overlap with those or have you, have you guys tossed around the idea of an interclub between societies? We got a big match coming up with the Flyers Club. Nice. So they're mostly based out of the East Coast, and we're, we're calling it, uh, their logo is a, a hair. Um, they call Harry, mm-hmm. and we're calling it the Hair and the Hive. Uh, the, hair, the Hair, the Hive, and the Heartland, because this year it's in, it's in Chicago. So we're playing, uh, we're playing 12 versus 12 against those guys at uh, Flossmoor and Medina coming up. So I'm pretty, uh, pretty jazzed for that one. That's awesome. Um, what, and don't, don't say the first event, cause that's, that's too easy, but what was the place 
that you were able to host an event and the first time you really looked at your partner or you looked around and said, can you believe this? Can you believe we're here? That's that's a no-brainer. It's 2018 Sweetens Cove. Okay. How big and a turnout do you have? Uh, full. Full day? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, I think it was 60. Okay. It was just over 60. It was like 62 or 63. Um. And, you know, they, they were doing uh, group outings at the time, not a ton, but, but, you know, Sweetens was obviously starting to get uh, publicized and the times article had just come out earlier that year. And uh, the fried egg did a piece on them and every, every, the, you know, everyone was just kind of clamoring about this place. And I think that's why we probably filled the field. It's a, it's a very special place, but the element of nobody knowing each other when you got there and everybody leaving as with like 60 friends, it was, it was a powerful moment. I wasn't prepared for, I wasn't ready for that. And, um, you know, I wish everywhere was Sweetens Cove, (laughs) I wish that was the truth, but we, we still are lucky where we get to kick off our spring meeting every year with those guys. And, um, they've just done, you know, when it comes down to the culture aspect of everything, uh, Sweetens took kind of some similar inspirations from, Scotland and Ireland, I think, but they made it so their own. And yep. it is, you can't leave, it's very similar to overseas. You can't leave there a changed person because I just feel like they open so many people's eyes on a daily basis to what golf can be. And, and, and they respect tradition and they still have the same reverence that we all do, but they just say the rest is bullshit and we're not going to waste our time on it. That we're going to, do what we think is right. Do what feels right. As Mr. Adamski always says, mm-hmm. and, and it does turn out great. And th- there's just evidence of that. So that's to, to answer your question. I, I knew we had something special when we found a place like Sweden's because they were one of the first places to say, you guys don't have to be anything what, than what you are, you know, just, just come as you are golf societies. It sounds great. Let's, let's meet up and see, see what you guys are all about. And it was such a great fit. So that, that was it. What is, I'm sure you've contemplated this, the way that that new club has grown. What's the ceiling for a new club? I mean, you guys have, is there a point where you're going to end up with a waiting list if you're not careful? Or is there enough room for local chapters everywhere that you're just, you can franchise out coast to coast? I'm I'm very uh, careful about that because I think we've, we've seen a couple opportunities to grow very quickly. And you know, what one simple example is like shorten our application. You know, people say that all the time, shorten it up. Why you guys got to ask all these things? <laughs> and, and I think keep the riff, is, be honest, is to keep the riffraff out, Matt. Th- th- there is a riffraff component for sure. I can't deny that. Like it, it, there's definitely that. Um, but I, I think there's also a, a, a self uh, policing piece to it where you got to want it. You know, you gotta, you gotta really want this for yourself. You gotta want it in your life. And, um, and that makes the community much stronger when you get a lot of people like that together. So, uh, I, I think for us, the ceiling, you know, it's, it's slow and steady because I don't want things to, I want to protect what we have. And so each, uh, the chapter piece is a slow and steady thing. You know, we, we could easily have, um, gone the national route, as you mentioned, but we really kind of took a step back and said, all right, we're going to do this ambassador program. And we have that ambassador program, but 
really our focus is always going to be these core chapters in the local group because we think that's the most powerful piece is being that that the best local golf club there that that, that they can be and so to, to stay focused on that you got to make sure the golf is available you got to make sure that we have good compelling golf you know we don't want to just do a, a deal with club corp and say all right, we got, you know, 600,000 golf courses and now we can have a million members. Like that's bullshit. That's not real. That's not good golf. So I, I I've just said, okay, let's, let's stay true to what we've developed in Chicago where let's work with courses that people really enjoy. Let's make sure that we get the times and the availability. And, and, you know, right now we got enough golf probably for 500 members in Chicago. Uh, so, so I think, I think that's kind of the, the way we look at it, it is a, a math problem, um, supply and demand. You got to make sure that's good. But as, as we continue to do that and we bring people onto the new club team to help us develop that golf offering, uh, we're going to be able to add a lot more members and launch, launch a lot of new, new chapters. Have you become a, have you had people reach out to you to say, Hey, how'd you do this? How can I do this in Tempe in Austin, places like that? Cause I've, I've toyed with starting my own, not society, more of a golf club. You know, my core nine guys, I had to pull teeth just to get them to register with the USGA handicap. And I thought, you know what, this might just be easier if I did it in house, but through some, some poking and some prodding, they're all online now. Like they're all on the grid. Have you, have you seen what you have inspired? Is that, has the feedback loop gotten to you on this? Yeah, th there's um, definitely been, been folks that have reached out and I, I learned in my professional life, I'd say is that life's too short to have this, uh, overly competitive spirit. I love competition. I think it's, it's why one of the big reasons I enjoy golf so much. And those folks that have reached out, I really want to see more golf societies. And if I look back at, you know, the inspiration, there's thousands of them in the UK. Um, I think there's levels to this, you know, I think, you could have uh, a loosely affiliated group that um, maybe you manage handicaps, maybe you uh, you know make some golf available, but it's all self-organized. It's user generated. You know that's a totally great option. I think for a low entry thing, it's just like, hey, it's a group, and we're going to go book tee times and play. So that's something that I encourage folks to to happen. What I have warned, and and some people have come back to me, is like, you know what you're getting into. And I'll never forget one gentleman who said, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm starting a club. Uh, and, and they got going and he said, I, I, how did you do that? Like the full-time job. And I was like, yeah, it's a full-time job. I quit my job, man. Like, <laughs> I didn't tell you, you could raise two kids and have uh, uh, three jobs and still run a golf society. Like that, that's the aspect I think that it, it cuts people off guard is any type of organization requires a ton of man hours and effort and thinking through problems. You know, I think the other thing that is very clear in, in the States is our courses, our operators, they're not built for golf societies over in the UK. They have set golf society days, golf mm -hmm. society hours, golf society. There's such a ease of, when I talk to my friends over there, such an ease of getting their schedules together here. It, it, there's nothing of the sort, you know, you have to, it's individualized every single course. So I hope that stuff changes. Cause that's a huge barrier to entry for any golf club. If that stuff continues to change, which I have to imagine it, it, it will, it's, there's too much success of us and others that they, they will 
start to make it easier for more clubs to exist. And, and that's what it needs because new clubs, not going to be for everybody. And so there needs to be, you know, dozens of golf clubs and golf societies available to people that aren't, you know, your full physical location, private club member to think that that's the only route, you know, that kind of summarize that thought. It's to think that the only routes are drop 50 K play at one course, a thousand extra dollars a month for your dues, play at one course with a group of people that maybe you get along with, maybe you don't, or go, you know, book your public tea times and and roll dice of who you're playing with and, and pay very little on a per you know, hundred bucks round or under, it just seems like the, why is that the only two options and, right. or a men, you know, men's league, you could argue is, is something you play on your Thursday nights. I get that. That's a big, strong community, but there's something in the middle there and, and there's a big something and it's called golf societies and it's not that new. It's been around for 700 years. So I just have to imagine that this is timeless. It's going to stand for a long, long time. And our, our golf clubs that are, you know, smart, I would say, are, are the ones that are on the cutting edge of this, that are the most welcoming, that are making sure that they they get this core demographic of golfers into their clubs and give them a great experience because it comes back in so many ways, in so many different ways. Um, so I, I think it's a good trend that, that only helps the golfing world and uh, it's going to continue to get better. Well, that's awesome. I'm going to get you out of here on a question, a traditional question. I've broken it into two parts. Um, a day to yourself, a day off of work. It can be, you can be by yourself. It can be with your buddies. It can be with whoever, but you've got, I want to know your two courses and one you're going to play one new course to you, but two, and I always think this is the more interesting one. What's the one course you want to go back to? What's the, the one that got away or the one that just really, really spoke to you that you want to go you would love another chance to go play around there oh man boy yeah that's because to be to be to be honest listeners he matt has has played at a lot of really (laughs) nice really interesting golf courses on both sides of the atlantic but i'm always intrigued by the one the one that got away either you played and you want to go play it again or you just had such an incredible experience. You want to try to recreate it there. Yeah, there, there's uh my, my goodness. I, you know, I, I don't know why it's coming to mind, but the red course at Beth page black. Okay. I played in college and I had a terrible tournament and I just hated the golf course. And it's one of those courses that I think about where how dumb I was like, like my, my enjoyment of golf was only linked to what I shot at the end of the round and how stupid that is. And how, like, what a failing proposition. Cause like even John Rahm hits a shank, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, of course you're going to dislike golf courses if that's all that you, you view it as. So I haven't played it since college. And that's one that I, I remember like, man, everyone talks about black, but I kind of think that red course was really cool. I'd like to go see that with, you know, wiser eyes. So right. that, that, that's my answer for the, the, the red course at Beth page black, um, or Beth page. And then, and then what was the other one? Just, if you've got one, if there's one on the bucket list somewhere, it doesn't have to be a trophy course. If there's just one you've always wanted to see, always wanted to play. Yeah. It's, it's Cypress point for me. I, I could, uh, 
the McKenzie, it has to do with my architecture education really, I think, started with um, Alistair McKenzie at Cork Golf Club. You know, and when I started to look at golf for other things than just the outcome and and Cork uh, is quirky in a way, but it's so strategic. And and just the, the idea that an architect could mystify you with the way they present bunkers and how they appear and the, the stacking of them. And I, I just that was my first understanding of that. You know, I, I didn't really ever think of that until till that time in Ireland. And so Alistair McKenzie has been my favorite architect ever since. I like to read Spirit of St. Andrews every few years. I uh, I really, uh, that guy resonates with me. So um, his crowning jewel, you know, you could say Augusta, but is it his anymore? I think it's Cypress Point. So I, I would like to see Cypress Point. My other favorite golf course in the world is La Hinch, um, which I played a good bit in college over there too. So he's got some pretty good ones. And uh, I think Cypress would be really cool to play someday. Hey, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I could talk golf or talk shop with Matt all day. I love the community he's fostered, creating the opportunity and value for serious golfers that seek both camaraderie and competition on the course with scenery that's constantly changing, and the special occasions that are indeed special. I think every golf trip and golf club captain aspires to some version of what Matt has put together, so kudos, Matt, for pulling it off. You can learn plenty more about New Club on their website at newclub.golf. There, of course, you can learn about their events and competitions. If, like me, you live someplace maybe outside their immediate area, take a second to check out their ambassador program, see if it's something that speaks to your inner golfer. And finally, if you like interesting conversations about golf and you've listened to all 63 episodes of the Blind Shots podcast already, then you should check out Matt's Bag Drop podcast, Untold Stories in Golf on the podcast app of your choice. You can also find it on their blog website at blog.newclub.golf. Maybe even poke around their YouTube channel. You know, now that I think about it, he really does have a burgeoning empire over there at New Club. Last thing, after you've finished all your homework, take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast player service you're listening from and leave a rating and review for the show. Each time someone leaves a five-star rating for the Blind Shots podcast, they pick up an extra 300 RPMs on their wedge shots from a tight lie. Hope you've enjoyed what you've heard here today. If you didn't like what you heard, sorry about that. That's all Matt's fault. I can't do anything about it now, but I will try to do better next time. Remember to find dynamic warm-up you can do every day, whether there's golf or not. And as always, when you have the choice, do decide to go for it and take dead aim. Your podcast originally started a lot like mine, just better with the kind of the untold stories. My, 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 it's so funny. My co-founder did tell me like, he's like, Hey, you want to pretend like it's not like you could get a pro, like you should, you know, talk, like ask for Rory Macro. I was like, come on, get out of here. judges me on how well I edge the sidewalks.
Like we, we walk, <laughs> we live four blocks away from the oldest school, the elementary school. And so we, the, the boys go down there every morning, drop big brother off. And the last two times I've mowed, uh, last time he asked, dad, you didn't, you didn't weed eat. You didn't, cause he's looking at the sidewalks and he's like the, you know, the grass is kind of funky. So yeah, I had to make sure I hit that really hard yesterday. A lot of string, a lot of, a lot of, uh, weed whacker string gave itself so that my my four-year-old wouldn't judge me too harshly hey. i got it i got a good job dad this morning so he's got you know we all need a good general contractor looking over our shoulder making sure we're doing things right 